Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. So in this podcast, we're going to look very briefly at one of the serious heresies which sprung up in the early church. A very difficult, hard to pin down set of beliefs known as Gnosticism. The word is actually spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. And the people who believed this heresy were known as the Gnostics. The word comes from the Greek word for knowledge, gnosis. So the Gnostics were people who claimed to have special knowledge, a personal revelation from God, completely separate to and outside of Scripture. Now, does that sound familiar? Before we look at some of these strange Gnostic beliefs, let me introduce it to you by telling you a story. A story I posted in my blog a few years ago. Here's what I wrote back then. I think I may have heard my very first postmodern or emergent style sermon. I have to confess that I didn't decide to hear one. I didn't go along to an emergent conference or a meeting or whatever passes for a meeting in those circles. I was at a family occasion of sorts, and someone had invited a so-called church leader to come along and speak. Let me explain a little bit about the actual sermon. and Maybe someone can decide if I was listening to a truly emergent message. Two scriptures were read, both of them from Paul's epistles and both on the subject of love. They weren't read by the speaker, but by someone else. And when the readings were over, the speaker made his way to a microphone and began to address the gathering in a fairly conversational style. No rhetoric, no preachiness, no outward enthusiasm, but with a good measure of humour. He didn't make any attempt whatsoever to exegete the texts that had been read. In fact, he largely ignored them. Instead, he began to tell us about his faith journey, which he declared would be totally different from everyone else's faith journey. It seemed to fall into three general points. Firstly, he remembered his college days, when he had thought that there might be a God somewhere, but he only had vague knowledge of whatever or whoever God was. He illustrated this by telling a fictitious story about a man of whom we had heard only snippets of information, and on that basis had formed an opinion of him, and that was, he said, how he thought about God. Then he remembered reading, under the guidance of a friend, some passages from Romans, from which he learned, he said, that the reason he knew so little about God was that we are estranged from him by our own lack of understanding. He finally realised that God wanted to have what he called a love relationship with him, and that excited him, and he began his walk with God. At that point, the reader returned to read another portion from Romans, which again was not further commented on. He finished with a prayer, at no point in the sermon, which lasted around 20 minutes, 
a lot of that time filled with various gulps and ums and ahs and sips of water. At no time did he mention sin. He didn't mention Jesus once, or the cross, or atonement, or repentance, or forgiveness. Basically, he spent the time speaking about himself and his somewhat nebulous experience of God. Now, we would call that kind of religion emergent Christianity, although some aspects of it are not too far removed from modern charismatic notions. Now, emergent it may be, but is it Christianity? And that's a different matter entirely. The key emphasis of the speaker's experience was that he suffered from a lack of knowledge until he had a personal revelation from God. He said, remember, we are all estranged from him by our own lack of understanding. He finally realised that God wanted to have a love relationship with him and that excited him. And he began his walk with God. Now that's not too far removed from Gnosticism, that heresy which occurred in the very early church, the roots of it appearing even during the time of the early apostles, the first apostles. Think for a moment about this word Gnostic. A person who believes in a god is called a theist. The Greek word for god is theos. A person who believes there is no god is an atheist, an atheist. A person who doesn't know whether there is a god is called an agnostic. Agnostic means, I don't know, I have no knowledge. So the opposite of someone who doesn't know is someone who knows. Take away the A and you have a Gnostic. And that's what we're going to look at for a few moments in this podcast. What on earth is Gnosticism? Now, these were people who thought that they had a special knowledge that other Christians didn't have. Gnosticism began as a pagan philosophy. It could attach itself to any religion or no religion. There were pagan Gnostics among the Greek philosophers. There were Jewish Gnostics. And, of course, there were so-called Christian Gnostics. And what linked them together was that all of them believed that they have received some special revelation, some knowledge that other people in their peer group or in their religion don't have. They were around well before the time of Christ. They appeared in the church near the end of the first Christian century. And by the second century, they were making a distinct nuisance of themselves within the Christian church. Some of the best-known Gnostic leaders in the early church were men like Menander, Cerinthus, Celsus, Marcion, Basilides, Valentinus. The Gnostics had their own scriptures too. You may even have heard of some of them. 
You'll have heard maybe of the Gospel of Thomas, the Pistis Sophia, the secret Gospel of Mark, the Sophia of Jesus Christ, the Gospel of the Egyptians, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Philip. It goes on and on and on. All these extra-biblical writings that were never part of the canon of Scripture. So what did those Gnostic heretics who attached themselves to the Christian Church actually believe? We're going to take a very short look at some of their distinctive doctrines. But first, before we can do that, here's a warning from Rosie, my digital assistant. Warning. 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 At this point in the lesson, please fasten your safety belt and adopt the brace position. Gnostic beliefs may cause serious neck strain and leave you with permanently bulging eyes. Wow, thanks, Rosie. Let's remember, though, that not all Gnostics believe the same things. The only unifying factor among them was the notion that they had some special knowledge that others didn't have. So hold on to the edge of your chair. Hold on tight. Let's go. Rosie, what have you got to say for yourself? Warning. Crazy Gnostic belief. Number one. So our first set of beliefs that the Gnostics had would concern the doctrine of God, who is God. They believe that God is transcendent. They believe that God does not know about us, that he does not care about us, that he is unfeeling and unconcerned with anything that we do. And they believe, mostly, that God did not create the world. After all, these people were influenced by Greek philosophy. They had a spirit-matter dualism. So they believed that matter is evil and spirit is good. So how, they would argue, is, a, is it possible that a transcendent God could have anything to do with matter? which is evil. How could a good God create something that in itself is evil because it exists? So they believe then that the world wasn't created by God himself, but wait for it, by an emanation from God. Wow, there's something different. They called this emanation very often the Demiurge. Some Gnostics actually believed that Yahweh the God of the Old Testament was that demiurge, a series of gradations from the God of the universe down to the demiurge who created matter, a series of aeons, as they would call it, between the transcendent God and this demiurge who then created evil matter. So some of them reached the conclusion that the God of the Old Testament was, therefore, in himself, evil. Some Gnostics completely rejected the Old Testament on the grounds that it tells of the actions and commands of this demiurge. Some would even go so far as to say that the serpent who beguiled Eve was doing the right thing by tempting her to reject the evil Demiurge. You can see how far these Gnostic heretics are from biblical doctrine. Well, I did tell you, and Rosie warned you, that these are some pretty weird beliefs. What's next, Rosie? 
Warning, crazy Gnostic belief. Number two. So what did the Gnostics think about us, about mankind? They believed that man is matter and therefore matter is evil. Because we have a body, we exist as matter. So all men and women are evil and therefore lost. But they believe some men have a spark of divinity within them. We are, of course, ignorant of this fact. They would say that some people have this spiritual light encapsulated within our evil bodies. And so God sends a Redeemer to bring us salvation. Now, it's not salvation from sin but salvation from our lack of knowledge, someone who will reveal to us our true worth and our destiny. Are you starting to see how this ancient heresy that seems so outrageous is actually being reflected in some modern thinking? God sends a Redeemer to save us from our lack of knowledge. Isn't that what I heard that day when I went to hear that emergent speaker? Didn't I hear him saying in his message that we are estranged from God by our own lack of understanding? That he was saved when he finally realised he knew that God wanted to have this love relationship with him. And if this promised Redeemer brings us salvation from our lack of knowledge and reveals to us our true worth and our true destiny, doesn't that sound like some of the extreme charismatics in the faith and prosperity heresy who want you to realise your true worth and have your best life now? People, according to the Gnostics, who have this special knowledge, can escape from the prison of this evil body at death, can travel through the planetary realms, passing safely through places controlled by demons, to be at last fully reunited with the transcendent God. So we've seen their beliefs on God, and we've seen their beliefs on man. Hi, Rosie. What's next? Warning. Crazy Gnostic belief. Number three. Scripture and life. Hmm. How did the Gnostics want you to live? Well, actually, they were pretty divided. And again, we remember that not all the Gnostics believed the same thing. Some of them were pretty hedonistic in their beliefs. They believed that you should eat drink and be merry. Since all matter is evil and salvation depends upon possessing a knowledge of one's spiritual nature, some Gnostics indulged in wildly licentious behaviour. They celebrated and imitated the lives of the evil villains of the Old Testament, like Cain, for example. Some even taught that Promiscuity must be God's will, since the demiurge who created the world was opposed to it. They were hedonistic through and through. But not all of them. Others among the Gnostics would live almost like a monk, 
they went to the extreme opposite. They had an ascetic attitude to life. They believed that humans were originally created unisex until the evil demiurge stepped in and created women, who they thought are the source of all evil, since they can give birth to more evil humans, thus multiplying the souls in bondage to the powers of darkness. So some Gnostics never married, never had any form of physical relationship. Rosé. Warning, crazy Gnostic belief, number four. Aye, daft Gnostic beliefs, Jesus. Basically, the Gnostics fell into two camps. They were either doceticists or adoptionists. Now, let me explain this to you. Doceticism was held by Menander and Marcion. The docetics believed that Jesus wasn't really human, that he just kind of looked human, that his body was composed of some kind of a starry astral substance, and that while he was going about looking like men, he actually was the son of God, and he didn't have a body like ours. Sounds daft. And on the other hand, there were adoptionists like Serinthus, who believed that Jesus was fully human. He was just an ordinary man, upon whom the Holy Spirit descended as a dove at his baptism. And because God cannot have any contact with evil, they say, the Spirit will have left Jesus before the crucifixion. Incidentally, that is also the Islamic view. That's what the Quran teaches. The Quran teaches they slew him not, nor crucified, but it appeared so unto them. And of course, Christ's mission on earth then was to redeem us, not from our sins. The Gnostics will tell you that you cannot be free from this sinful body until death, but from our lack of knowledge. Now look, what I've just given you there is just a very simple summary of Gnostic beliefs. Before I recorded this episode, I got out some of my old church history books that I read 40 years ago when I was preparing for the ministry. And I was shocked at how much I've forgotten over the years. Gnosticism is much, much more complicated than what this simple lesson would suggest. Before we finish, there's a story about the Apostle John. Apparently, the Apostle John lived to a good old age and dwelt at Ephesus, where he was one of the local church leaders. One of the early church writers, Irenaeus of Leon, records an incident that occurred at the public baths in Ephesus, where the Gnostic heretic Serenthus was washing himself. The Apostle John, discovering who was there in the washroom, fled from the place as if fleeing for his very life, 
crying out to those around him, Let us flee, lest the bath fall in, while Serinthus, the enemy of the truth, is there. Now whether that is literally true or not, it illustrates the contempt that the early church leaders, and perhaps even John himself, had for teachers of all sorts of perverse doctrine. When you read First John, there are some passages in that book that indicate that John is writing in part to correct some of the very earliest forms of Gnosticism coming into the church. Of course, he's writing to correct other errors as well. Some people in the early church, people to whom John is writing, seem to be saying that Jesus had not actually come in the flesh, but that he only appeared to be human. So there is no real incarnation, and thus no divine saviour who was able to die for sinners. John's reply to this was, in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 2 and 3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming. And now is in the world already. Bob. Bob. What? Have you got an actual point to make here? Something we could apply to our Christian lives, perhaps? Right. The point is that we must be very careful not to expect extra-biblical revelation, not to look for some special knowledge or think that we have some spiritual gifting that other Christians don't have. We get to know God through Christ, who is revealed to us in God's Word. If you want to hear God speaking to you, then simply read the Word, for it's through the Bible that God speaks to us. And it doesn't tell us that we are just experiencing a lack of knowledge either. It tells us that we are sinners, that we are blinded by our sinfulness, and that we need a Saviour. And it tells us that that Saviour is Jesus, who came into this world, who took on human flesh, who was fully God and fully man, who suffered in the flesh for us, and who died as a human being for our sins on the cross, and who rose again with a physical body. Our response to his finished work is simply to rest in what Christ has done for us. 